Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Well, June is National Pet Preparedness Month, which serves as a nice reminder to all of us of what to do in case of an emergency or natural disaster. According to a recent Pet First Pet Insurance survey, most pet guardians are unprepared for a disaster. Look, if you've not done so already, you really need to think about making a plan and be prepared for a natural disaster for you and your pet. Now, our country's had a number of natural disasters over the last couple decades, including storms and flooding, lots of flooding, heat waves, earthquakes, and fires. But I want to talk for a few minutes about Hurricane Katrina, because that was the disaster that provided a wake-up call to all of us, including government agencies, community agencies, politicians, and even individuals. Katrina taught us and taught our federal government a lot of lessons, including how and what we had to do to strengthen our system of preparedness and response. Now, if you're old enough, you remember when Hurricane Katrina slammed into New Orleans back in 2005 and the devastation and the massive amount of damage and destruction it caused. 80% of New Orleans flooded. More than 1,800 people lost their lives as a result of Hurricane Katrina. And millions of people were left homeless along the Gulf Coast and in New Orleans. An article from the USA Today in 2007, two years after Hurricane Katrina, estimated that 7,900 businesses in New Orleans and in southeast Louisiana went out of existence as a result of Katrina. Damages estimated at over $100 billion. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration claims Hurricane Katrina was the most destructive storm to ever strike the United States. Well, what about the animals? Tens of thousands of animals suffered and died horrible deaths. Over 600,000 animals were killed or stranded because of Hurricane Katrina. An estimated 250,000 dogs and cats died or were displaced as a result of the storm. And those pets that didn't die in the storm were left to fend for themselves. Thousands died from drowning and starvation and illness due to the conditions after the storm. And we'll never forget the horrible images, which were and still are too painful to watch, of dogs drowning in the floods or drowned because people left their pets tied up in their backyards. And then we had some pets that actually made it out of the storm, but were separated from their owners in the shelters, most of whom were never reunited with their families. Emergency responders were not rescuing animals, and they were not rescuing people's pets. Rescue boat captains and helicopter pilots refused to load pets so there could be more room for people. Also, shelters would not allow evacuees to bring their pets with them. So even if you made it with your dog or cat or your bird or whatever to the shelter, you had to leave them behind. People were even forced to leave their service dogs behind. Buses would not allow pets. So at the sites where evacuees would go to meet buses, many animals were left tied to nearby bridges. Can you imagine? Remember when everyone was congregating at the Superdome? The Superdome welcomed eight to 9,000 refugees as a safe haven, but they were not allowing people to take their pets in with them. So again, dogs were tied up somewhere or just dropped off anywhere. Animal rescue teams were set up in the worst hit regions and they did their best. Humane Society of the United States stepped in in conjunction with the Louisiana SPCA and many other animal rescue groups, along with hundreds of volunteers and staff, doing what they could to save some of the animals. And many of the ones they were able to rescue 
had no identification tags, so they couldn't even be reunited with their owners. And we had animal lovers across the nation who adopted many orphaned dogs and cats. Animals were being sent all over the country. But of course, the rescued dogs or cats who were too ill to be adopted were euthanized. Even where I live in Palm Springs, California, there was one shelter in our valley that I'd worked with in the past that took a couple dozen homeless, abandoned, and sick pets who survived Katrina. I remember a big problem we dealt with with those dogs was heartworm disease. Every dog our shelter took in was tested positive for heartworm disease. And that was a big deal because the dogs had to get healthy first before they could be adopted out to a new family. Heartworm is a dangerous blood parasite of dogs primarily and less often cats that can cause very serious illness, including heart failure and death. The disease is spread by mosquitoes and it can be found everywhere, but mostly it's found in areas with subtropical climates like the Atlanta and Gulf Coasts. And then on top of that, you have the flooding from the storm with all the standing dirty water, which just created a breeding ground for heartworm carrying mosquitoes. I mean, it literally was a heartworm epidemic. So it was a huge problem for many of the pets, especially the dogs rescued from the Gulf Coast. And without treatment, the disease will ultimately kill a dog. And again, the dogs that were left behind who didn't drown or starve very likely died of heartworm disease. And by the way, you probably know this, there's a medication to prevent the infestation with heartworm. Now, one of the biggest issues for the emergency authorities at the time was the people who stayed in New Orleans or in the areas hit by the storm stayed because they refused to leave their pets behind. What would you do? You have a rescue team at your house and they tell you, sorry, we're taking you and your human family members, but we're not going to take your pet. Are you going to stay behind with your pets with what is a, a potentially life-threatening situation? Or are you going to take the opportunity to safely evacuate a disaster and leave your pets behind? No question for me. I'm not going anywhere without my animals. Well, a survey conducted shortly after the storm found that 44% chose to ride out the storm because they refused to leave their pets behind. A similar nationwide poll by Lake Research Partners on behalf of the ASPCA found 42% of Americans would also not evacuate without their pets. But the abandonment of thousands of pets brought the matter of animal welfare in natural disasters to national attention. And thus, a bill was initiated. And this bill is called the Pets Evacuation and Transportation Standards Acts, or P-E-T-S, PETS. It was a bipartisan initiative, and it was set up to require states seeking FEMA assistance to accommodate pets in their plans for evacuating residents in natural disasters. The bill was signed into law by President George W. Bush in October 2006. And do you know the story of Snowball? This bill was, in large part, initially inspired by the story of Snowball. So Snowball was a little white precious ball of fur, a dog. And because pets were not allowed on the evacuation buses, a police officer confiscated Snowball from the arms of a nine-year-old boy who was clutching this little adorable dog. And the boy was crying and he cried out, Snowball, Snowball. And the boy cried until he vomited. And Associated Press reporter Mary Foster witnessed this heartbreaking incident. And this case garnered widespread attention and everyone was on a mission to locate Snowball in hopes of a reunion, which I don't think ever happened. 
Initial reports indicated that they thought they finally located Snowball, but subsequently reports said the dog they located was the wrong dog, so the dog Snowball was never found. So inspired by the story of Snowball, U.S. Representative Tom Lantos, at the time a representative of California, introduced the Pets Evacuation and Transportation Standards Act, or PETS. A statement from Tom Lantos reads, The dog was taken away from this little boy, and to watch his face was a singularly revealing and tragic experience. The legislation was born at that moment. On the congressional report for the bill, he explained more fully, quote, the scene from New Orleans of a nine-year-old little boy crying because he was not allowed to take his little white dog Snowball was too much to bear. Personally, I know I wouldn't have been able to leave my little white dog Masco to a fate of almost certain death. As I watched the images of the heartbreaking choices the Gulf residents had to make, I was moved to find a way to prevent this from ever happening again. So the devastating effects from Katrina completely changed how we individually and as a country handle our pets in natural disasters. Provisions were made for the animals for future disasters because of what happened during Katrina. FEMA now has disaster animal rescue plans in place. Many evacuation centers and shelters allow pets to stay. But you need to do your part. You need to plan ahead and be prepared. And we're going to talk about some tips that might help you in your planning. And one thing that you must always remember is to never leave your pets behind. If you need to evacuate, you take your animals with you. Even if you think you'll be returning in a day or two and you'll leave plenty of food and water, don't do it. And unlike during Katrina, you'll never be forced to make a decision of leaving your pets stranded and alone in order for you to safely evacuate a disaster or stay in a potentially life-threatening situation with your pets. Responsible pet guardians will do the right thing. Either take your pets with you or ensure your pets have a safe haven to stay in. And this is part of your planning. And we're going to talk about the planning in a minute. And planning means not waiting for a disaster to strike. But inevitably, every single time a natural disaster strikes the U.S., whether a fire or a hurricane or a massive flooding, stories emerge of animals being abandoned and get left behind by their owners while the rest of the family evacuates. Why would you do that? Every time our country is faced with a disaster, we see heart-wrenching photos and videos and read and hear stories of how animals are left behind to fend for themselves and die in horrible ways. Hurricane Irma, not too long ago, September 2017, Category 5 storm, considered the most powerful Atlantic hurricane in recorded history, with winds of 185 miles per hour for 37 hours. President Trump declared emergencies in Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands and Florida. According to local Palm Beach News affiliate WPTV, more than 50 animals were left tethered to trees, poles, or parked cars as the deadly storm was making its way inland. Unbelievable. These despicable human beings who abandoned their animals, which is animal cruelty, by the way, to die in terror. Our pets depend on us for our safety and survival. And as responsible pet owners, we have an obligation to keep our animals safe 
and to know what to do in case a disaster strikes. And depending on where you live in the country, you got to plan for that hurricane, tornado, earthquake, wildfire, volcano, tsunami. Okay, don't go away. Right after the break, we're going to talk about ways you and your pets can prepare for a natural disaster. You're listening to Animals Today. Welcome back to the show. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about preparing for natural disasters. The following are some basic tips that will help ensure you and your pets are prepared in the face of an emergency. First, get rescue alert stickers or save my pet stickers. These are stickers you put on your windows near your front door to let people and rescuers know pets currently live there. You indicate on the sticker the types and number of pets in your home. But you're not going to leave your pets at home in a natural disaster, right? So when you take your pets with you, when you evacuate, or when your pets are already in a safe place because you planned ahead, you take the stickers off your front windows so animal-loving rescuers are not searching all over your house for your pets when they're not there. You can get these stickers online, in some cases free, or you can buy them at your local PetSmart or Petco. Or if you have a printer at home, you can download and print them out and slip them into a plastic sleeve and tape them to your doors and windows. Next, make sure your pet has identification, which includes a collar. Each one of your pets should be wearing a collar with their name and your phone number. And make sure your pet is microchipped, which serves as a more permanent form of identification in case the tag or collar falls off your pet. A microchip is a tiny chip about the size of a grain of rice that is implanted under your animal's skin between the shoulder blades. Microchips are not tracking devices. They are radio frequency identification implants that provide permanent identification for your pet. And it bears a unique ID number and you register it. And in the event you're separated from your pet, the chip can be scanned for the microchip to reveal your pet's unique ID number in the database searched and you're contacted, yay. Veterinary offices and animal shelters and animal control departments and many rescues have these scanners, but you have to keep the information current. So if you move or change numbers, you need to update it with your current contact information so that you can be reached. Microchipped pets have a much better chance of being reunited with their owners than those without chips. A study showed that less than 2% of cats without microchips were returned to their home. However, if a cat is microchipped, the return to owner rate is 20 times higher than if the cat was not microchipped. And same with dogs. I believe the AVMA claims without microchips, only 22% of lost dogs who enter shelters are reunited with their owners. However, that percentage jumps up to 52% for dogs who had microchips. If your pet is currently not microchipped, now is a good time to get this simple task checked off your list. It's really easy. It's not that expensive. It's like 10 or $15 if you get it done at a humane society or discounted clinic, maybe 25 to $50 at a vet's office, and that's a one-time fee, and many times it's done at the same time as your pet is being spayed or neutered. Next, in case you and your pets have to evacuate, know where to go and stay together, but establish in advance where you're going to go. Do your research. Identify those pet-friendly hotels outside your immediate area, maybe like a 60-mile radius of your home. 
You can also search on VRBO or bring Fido for pet-friendly homes or condos. And or ask your animal-loving friends or relatives who live outside your area if they will be your safe haven for your family in the event of a disaster. And also, in the event something happens to you or you're not at home, let's say you're at work and you're unable to get to your pets when disaster strikes, you need to have a designated caregiver or caregivers. And this is a person or persons who will be responsible for your pets. It's a great idea to even swap responsibilities with the person you trust and who trusts you with your animals to each be each other's pets' safe havens. And obviously, this has to be established ahead of time. I will tell you, once Peter and I were out of town, we were up in the mountains with our dogs, and one evening, it was around 10 o'clock at night, we heard the news of a rapid wildfire threatening our neighborhood, and the word was that our area might have to be evacuated at any time. And we freaked out because we had four cats at home, and we were at least a 10-hour drive away from our home. Anyway, we were able to contact a friend outside our neighborhood who's familiar with all our animals, and we told her how to get in the house and where we store cat carriers and all the possible hiding places our cats like to go when they're frightened or, or a strange person enters the house, and to be sure to wear gloves since a couple of our cats will put up a fight before being forced in a carrier. And my friend and her brother were willing and ready to evacuate our cats if needed. Now, it ends up that the fire was contained and we didn't have to evacuate, but we got lucky and we were not prepared. So part of your emergency pet preparedness plan should include communicating your plan to other people you trust who know your pets and you can rely on to take care of your pets in case you're away from home when a disaster strikes, which we had failed to do. And this is also a situation where having those Save My Pet stickers would have been helpful, right? even potentially life-saving. Let's say fire approaching the house, we're gone, no friend to help out, two dogs, four cats at the house. Firefighters get there, they see our stickers. In case of emergency, please evacuate the following. One, one cat that will rip your arms off if you try to pick her up. Two, a pit bull who will lick you to death. No, what you actually do is list the types and numbers of animals. And you know firefighters and police officers can be and truly are our heroes. About two years ago, and we talked about this story on the show, there was a firefighter, this was in Santa Monica, who saved a dog's life by performing CPR for 20 minutes. This was on a little dog that was rescued from a burning, blazing apartment. And him doing CPR on this little 12-pound white dog was photographed. And you see this firefighter on top of this little 10-year-old dog. The dog was overcome by heat and smoke, and he was not breathing. He was unresponsive. And the firefighter revived this little guy and then gave him oxygen through those little oxygen masks designed for pets. Anyway, a hero, right? Okay, so back to the tips on planning for an emergency. You should keep copies of your pet's vet records. Create a file for each pet that has their health history, vaccination dates, a recent photo. Also, it's a great idea to have the proper size pet carriers or crates for each one of your pets. Finally, you need to create your emergency supplies and traveling kits. Now, there are many online sources to help you create your emergency preparedness kits for your pets, and they'll tell you specifically the items you should include in it. There's a good one on PetMD. Have you been to that site? Or ASPCA and Humane Society of the United States has a nice section on this as well. And it depends where you look, but a couple of them say you should have enough food and water for at least five days for each pet. 
canned food with a pop top or dry food, whatever your dog eats, and of course, bottled water. And be sure to rotate the food and water wherever you're storing it, like every two months. So you also need your food and water bowls. You need your pet's medications. And this is the kit where you would keep your pet's medical records. It's also great to have a bunch of blankets and any other comfort items your pet might need, like pet beds and toys. And of course, if you have cats, you need kitty litter in a pan. You should include first aid items. We already talked about crates or kennels, but good to have cage liners. Have your leashes ready. And of course, have your list of pet-friendly hotels. So June is National Pet Preparedness Month, and now, before the disaster strikes, is a good time to prepare for that disaster or emergency. As a responsible pet guardian, the best thing you can do to ensure the safety and well-being of your pets is to be prepared. Stay together. Never leave them behind. Don't go away. More with the show right after the break. Thank you for listening to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals, now in our 11th year of consecutive weekly broadcasts. Animals Today is brought to you by the Animal Welfare Organization, Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org and consider making a donation to help support the show. That's aianimals.org. And thank you for your interest and your support. Welcome back. There is newly reintroduced legislation in both the House and the Senate, and it's called the Preventing Animal Cruelty and Torture Act, PACT. Mark Mamjian is with us to discuss this legislation. Mark is a Philadelphia-based attorney, and he specializes in family law and many, many related areas. Hey, Mark. Hey, how are you doing? We're doing fine here. Thanks for coming on to speak about this uh, legislation. Uh, it packed. What does it state? Well, Dr. Peter, it's, it, as you said, it stands for the Preventing Animal Cruelty and Torture Pact. And it's a very important um, bill uh, that's aimed to make it easier to prosecute anyone involved in the torture killing of animals. So it's obviously a very important piece of welfare and humane legislation, but it's important because it's a federal law. It's not a state law. As you know, 50 states and, and the District of Columbia have laws about uh, animal abuse. Uh, this is the first time that we're seeing um, a federal statute uh, that would amend the federal criminal code to prevent these intentional acts of crushing, burning, drowning um, animals. And, um, you know, it's incredibly uh, important legislation. There are critics of it, uh, but there are a lot of co-sponsors in the Congress that are backing it. And it's actually uh, a bill that has been proposed by two congressmen from Florida, a Democrat, uh, Ted Deutsch, and a Republican, Vern Buchanan. So this is an act that would uh, be limited to these types of crimes that take place either in interstate commerce or on federal property. Got it. So it's important, I understand, that this is a federal legislation, but why do you think it's needed, or why do you think it would be a good thing? 
it's being debated in legal um, scholarly communities right now because there are critics who say that this is an example of what's called over-federalization. Critics would say that the federal government should limit its um, you know, criminal code to the types of things that uh, make sense for the federal government, like cyber crime, terrorism, human trafficking, violent drug cartels. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, we do have a federal law uh, from 2010 that uh, bans or prohibits the making of videos where animals are subject to torture. And there's a loophole in that federal act from 2010, which had almost near unanimous support in Congress. And that loophole is that the video production of these types of animal abuses is a federal crime, but not the actual torture and abuse of these animals. So what this new PACT Act does is amend the 2010 law that makes the actual act of torture a federal crime. Before, the only uh, federal crime was the making of videos depicting this torture. So there's a distinction there. Earlier, before we started recording, you told me about this very strong animal protection caucus that's uh, in Congress. Tell, Tell us about that. It's really one of the most impressive caucuses in the entire U.S. Congress. It's called the Congressional Animal Protection Caucus. It did uh, 10 years ago, around February of 2009. And it's uh, amazing in that it has 150 members of the U.S. Congress uh, that are in that caucus. It's a bipartisan caucus. It raises awareness about animal welfare issues before the Congress. And when you think about the fact that Congress has 435 members and 150 of them alone are part of this Congressional Animal Protection Caucus, it gives you some sense that a third of the Congress uh, wants to be connected to legislation that deals with animal protection. So this is a very important caucus, and it has aligned itself Uh, with this bipartisan bill that was um, brought out in January by Representative Deutsch and Representative Buchanan. By the way, those are two congressmen in Florida. Uh, They both have uh, Midwestern or Michigan roots. Those are two uh, Florida congressmen that on other issues before Congress have very disparate views. Uh, One is a considered a progressive liberal, another is a conservative Republican. But when it comes to animal welfare issues, they're shoulder to shoulder. And in fact, Republican um, Vern Buchanan is co-chair of the Congressional Animal Protection Caucus. Mark, give us a little lesson in the law. So let's say this mm-hmm. passes and the president signs it into law. So we have new provisions in the federal code. So how does that get implemented? In what situations mm-hmm. does it operate? What's going to happen is that you, we will have for the first time a federal animal cruelty statute, which means that if a an animal abuse or torture takes place on federal land, Instead of being prosecuted locally by a state prosecutor, a U.S. attorney could bring federal charges 
against a defendant for alleged violation of this PACT Act. And it's serious, as it should be. I mean, these are felonies. They're subject to fines and a term of imprisonment of up to seven years. And this is the Congress, you know, making a very clear and unambiguous statement that there is a broad coalition in the Congress for common sense animal welfare laws. And this is what this would do. I mean, again, while it's limited to interstate commerce and federal property, what it would do is allow U.S. attorneys to bring federal charges. And, you know, it would uh, punish the cruelty itself as opposed to the prior 2010 act, which I said only punished the depiction of these types of acts. So this is a very important movement in animal welfare law, and already it has dozens and dozens of co-sponsors. So I imagine that the legislation is going to pass with overwhelming support, if not near unanimous support, in the House and the Senate, And it will then, you know, eventually wind its way, hopefully, to the president's desk uh, for signing into law. Now, that hasn't uh, that process still uh, some time away. But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of attention uh, being made to this new bill to combat animal cruelty. And most of the humane organizations are squarely behind uh, in support of the legislation. Mark, in your career as a family law expert and one with a special interest in animal law, have you personally seen the connection between animal abuse and violence upon people? Dozens of times. Dozens of times. Over the course of 30 years of practicing family law, I've represented uh, countless victims of domestic violence. And uh, I would say in a third to a half of them, uh, there are some allegations of animal abuse that either take place prior to the domestic violence or take place concurrently with it. So um, this is a connection that has been established not just by uh, individual accounts of lawyers, but by social scientists and others who look at the phenomenon of domestic violence and how pervasive it is in our society. So we're watching this, and as family lawyers, I see the reason why there are now uh, an increasing number of states that are trying to protect animals as part of their domestic violence statutes. Do you think that if this federal law gets passed, uh, the decision-making on whether to charge a defendant, a juvenile defendant, as a juvenile or as an adult changes? It's hard to know because there haven't, obviously, the the legislation hasn't passed into law. But um, I would imagine that the same calculus would be made at the state level as it would in the federal level. Um, The reality is, is that there are juveniles who are charged with federal crimes. And in this is such an abhorrent act, uh, whether a juvenile is charged as an adult or not, the same process would uh, I think, be examined uh, with with any alleged violation of federal law. So I don't know that that's going to be uh, the gravamen of what's going on. But given how um, serious this crime is, and it is probably, you know, it's one of the most horrific crimes that could be committed, um, I probably 
my guess is that, you know, eventually there will be federal prosecutors who bring uh, formal charges under this new law when it's passed and signed into law. And um, we're going to have to wait and see uh, the level of um, uh, the level of the federal government, what's brought to bear on these potential defendants. It's going to be something that uh, everyone in the animal welfare community is going to monitor very closely. Yeah. So do you have a feeling of the uh, time frame of when this might uh, go to the president's desk? My, my sense is that it's going to be um, passed before the end of the year and go to the president's desk before the end of the year. Um, as I think I talked on a prior program about the 2018 Farm Bill that had many different components to it dealing with animal welfare like, for instance, prohibiting the trade, the trading of dog and cat meat. Um, these were uh, measures that had wide support in Congress. I think this one uh, dealing with preventing animal cruelty and torture is going to be similarly embraced. And I suspect that it'll get to the president's desk and be signed. Uh, because of the wide support in this country of doing everything to maximize animal protection. Um, and again, I do think it is landmark legislation in that, you know, we don't have a federal animal cruelty statute uh, of this nature. And, um, you know, I think we are, again, seeing progressive forces come together on a bipartisan basis uh, to pass this type of legislation. It's extremely important. Mark Momjian, thank you so much again for giving us your expert views on this really important topic. My pleasure, Dr. Peter. Thank you for having me. More with animals today after this quick break. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and you're listening to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm proud to say that we are now in our 11th year of continuous weekly broadcasts, bringing you animal welfare and animal rights news and stories from around the globe. Animals Today is brought to you by the Animal Welfare Organization, Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please check them out at aianimals.org and consider making a donation to help support the show. That's aianimals.org. And thank you for your interest and your support. Welcome back to the show. Peter, you have some news to share with us. I do, Lori. If you travel to Jamaica, you might want to visit the Montego Bay Animal Haven. This is a rescue and adoption place. They do some special things. They have a relationship with Bay Path Humane Society in Maryland, and that has permitted more than 100 dogs to be adopted to homes in the United States. They get transported there. They have a spay and neuter program. They have feeding stations so they can uh, feed the dogs and allow them to gain their trust so they can get them spayed and fixed. And they have an education program where they visit schools and have supervised group visits. One of the ways you can donate and support them is to sponsor the transport of a dog from Jamaica to the United States. But here's something I really like and why I wanted to feature them right now. If you are vacationing to Jamaica, like I said before, let's say you're taking a cruise and you are at the dock for a day. You can have an excursion 
which you book through Airbnb, and they will take you to Montego Bay Animal Haven, and they have a program called Hiking with the Hooligans. And on this excursion, you get to take a hike with more than like a 100 dogs that they have in their rescue. Now, the dogs get very excited when anyone comes to visit, and they may jump up on you or nip at your ankles, but they just love to play and run and jump. And if you're away from your dogs and you need a little fix, and you can support this rescue, so you can have a visit with the hooligans at Montego Bay Animal Haven. Isn't that cool? You want to go to Jamaica? Not really, but in case we end up there, I would do this. Now, this experience is not unique. There are a couple of other rescues that do uh, sort of similar things. For instance, if you go to Kauai, you could visit Kauai Humane Society. I do want to go there, by the way. What you can do with their field trips program is you can uh, spend some time with a dog. They have eight to 10 healthy dogs that are usually available, and you take the dog on a hike. You can even go swimming with them or uh, just hang out with them. Bring them to the beach. You pay a small fee, you get your dog fix, and it supports the Kauai Humane Society, okay? That's really cool. So you can bring me there. No, I think I'll go there without you. <laughs> okay, I like that too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's a story uh, you are going to like, I think, Lori, and that is the ALF, the Animal Liberation Front. They are proudly claiming responsibility for three recent releases of pheasants, pheasants that were released in the United Kingdom, these were destined to be targets for shooters. Like sport shooting? Just release all these pheasants and people shoot them? Yeah, yeah, something like that. That's terrible. They breed them and they just uh, allow the quote-unquote quasi-hunters to just uh, mow them down. Anyway, one of these releases had nearly 5,000 pheasants and the other two were uh, smaller. One of the ALF spokespersons said... It was an incredible sensation to be around all these birds who were making their first flights without bashing into a net. We hope they find peace in the surrounding woods. And they would go in and uh, herd the birds out of the pen and then uh, close the enclosures back up. So, of course, this is illegal. They sneak in. They've got undercover video. It's sort of grainy and dark, but you get the, the picture. The police said there's an ongoing investigation into an incident in which a large number of pheasants was released. I do love that you story. Do like that, even yes. though it's illegal. Yes. And even though you don't know what's going to happen to these released pheasants. Maybe they don't enjoy a happy life. Maybe they oh. do. Okay. Well, that's the Animal Liberation Front. I love that. Now, you spoke with um, its founder from a long time ago, Robbie Lee, didn't you? Yes. He had a book and an interesting biography. Uh, he's moved on. He's now a vegan advocate. Yes. But he does not disavow his former actions or the current actions. Do you? I'm not into this stuff, actually. I am a law-abiding uh, citizen. Even if it means liberating animals who are destined to be tortured and... I think there are other ways to achieve your goals. I could be wrong. You are wrong. <laughs> Okay, here's great news from International Society for Animal Rights. They are our good friend. And you may know that last year they began a scholarship program for individuals to apply and have a fully funded year as a graduate in animal law. So you can get this LLM. It's offered to foreign attorneys, foreign from the U.S., and it gives them a chance to earn the world's only advanced degree in animal law. It's called the International Society for Animal Rights Helen Jones Memorial Scholarship. And it is done in partnership with the Center for Animal Law Studies at Lewis and Clark Law School. 
It's a great program. It is a great program. And they just graduated their first recipient. Her name is Tess Vickery. And she is going back to Australia. And she said that when she returns to Australia, I plan to continue to provide assistance to a nonprofit running consumer law cases against backyard breeders and puppy mills and to be involved with my state bar committee on animal law. Fantastic. So everyone's very excited about this program. In fact, they have decided to continue it and they are uh, interviewing new candidates for the next academic year. If you want to donate, you can earmark donations to ISAR, especially for this program, which really will have worldwide reach, won't it? So congratulations to Tess and to ISAR and Lewis and Clark. Lori, hot news from Cincinnati. That's a funny statement. (laughs) Anyway, the city council has voted to ban exotic animals from circuses. Isn't that great? This was introduced by Councilman Chris Sealback, and he has a spokesperson who reminded us, quote, in order to stay profitable, circuses must tour so intensely. The moment the show is over, animals are returned to their cages, which are so small, and put on a train and are traveling so long that they go out and do the show and go right back into the cage. Yes, it's a horrible life for these animals. Yeah, you know, a few other states have also voted recently to outlaw the use of animals in circuses like New Jersey, Hawaii, and California. But as usual, Lori, there are opponents, and one of them in the Cincinnati case is called Universal. That's a circus that features performance from various minority groups. They promote cultural diversity, and they do use exotic animals. They released a statement, quote, Universal Circus Animal Acts have top-tier caretakers and trainers, are regularly examined by several independent licensed veterinarians, seen by multiple animal health and welfare inspectors, meet the requirements of dozens of city, county, and state agencies across the country, and are properly licensed by the United States Department of Agriculture, unquote. Blah, 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 blah. 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 You know, here's how I look at this. All these agencies, they are just on the captivity gravy train. You know, they are all involved in this nasty business. The ones who work in them support the business of captivity, and then they are rewarded by it. So to appeal to all these inspectors as your authority is just nonsense. Exactly. Anyway, sorry about the dig, Cincinnati. Congratulations for uh, passing this legislation. Lori, lawmakers in Canada, and this is a big deal, they passed legislation banning whale and dolphin captivity in the entire country. It was approved by the House of Commons and now requires only what they call royal assent to become law. Under the new law, there is going to be no holding of whales, dolphins, and porpoises, although those currently in captivity will remain. It bans the capture of wild dolphins and whales and the practice of captive breeding and the import and export of those animals as well. Fantastic. You know, there are only two facilities that keep captive cetaceans in the whole country. That's Marine Land in Niagara Falls and the Vancouver Aquarium. Rebecca Aldworth, she is from Humane Society International. Uh, She said passage of this bill is a watershed moment in the protection of marine animals and a victory for all Canadians. And we do agree with that. Great progress. Okay, thanks for all that, Peter. And thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals.